changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Vaden and Rex. Welcome to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we interviewed Kathy Pope with Mid-South Food Bank. Great interview to see what happens on the inner workings of a food bank. Um, I learned a lot, really, about how these food banks work before COVID and pandemic, and especially now. And Kathy talks about some of the numbers of the increase of demand, as you can imagine, from their food bank since COVID has hit. It's incredible. It's such a needed organization in the community. Yeah, there she had some really uh, startling statistics that she shared with us. And I think, you know, anyone listening to this, you would realize that, you know, there's been a lot of people have lost their jobs, probably more than any other time in American history. And uh, people that weren't necessarily looking or weren't used to having to figure out where their food was going to come from, all of a sudden find themselves in that position. And, um, you know, gosh, there's so many people that benefit from something like this and, Kathy brings her experience from, you know, living on the Gulf Coast to uh, the Mid-South Food Bank and where they're at in Memphis and uh, helping out 31 counties. That's a lot of people. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen like kind of the height of the lockdown, you know, I think it was San Antonio, like cars lined up for for the people waiting in line for hours and hours. And so it's just such a need. Also, it was cool to hear about the um, mobile pantries that they were doing, setting up mobile spots, working with partners all over. And just, you know, the logistics of it's difficult. You know, you have stores that have perishable goods, like maybe milk that's three days away that they're willing to donate to a, uh, or four days away or, or a lettuce or whatever they're willing to donate to a food bank. And then they have to turn those things around quick and make sure that they're safe. So they have to yeah. be able to get these products, these perishable products to their warehouse, inspect them, make sure they're safe, and then be able to get them into the hands of families instantly, as well as getting all the dry goods distributed out. It's, it's a tough job, but, you know, luckily Kathy is awesome. And, um, they're doing yeah, really the logistics thing. were <laughs> yeah. pretty amazing. And not only, you know, coordinating all those moving pieces, but then you're working with all these different agencies and yeah. coordinating all those. Mov- they, I mean, there's a lot going on. You could tell yeah. that that's a... It's probably a very uh, stressful position that she runs all these food banks. But you know what? I'm sure she goes home at the end of the day feeling great about what she does because she's able to help thousands of families out there. Absolutely. And she talked about that too with her staff of how, you know, what a great staff she has and how the staff really connects to the inline families that are getting these products. And that's just the rewarding part. So um, if you enjoy this interview, check them out at midsouthfoodbank.org. Um, and, uh, you can volunteer that way. You can donate. And good time to donate. Definitely a good time to donate. Talk about that a little bit at the end. It's a really, really good time to donate anything that you have, you know, she says they can stretch it so far and you're literally helping feed people that are in need. So definitely a good time. Um, check out the, the, the other show episodes that we have, make sure you're subscribing to our podcast so you can listen to all the other great interviews that we have. And, you know, as we throw out there a lot, if, if you're doing something cool or you know somebody that's doing a really awesome nonprofit or a really cool business, you know, email us at info at my corner of the universe um, and we will get back to you and hopefully have you as a guest on the show. Yeah. All right. 
All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Kathy Pope from the Mid-South Food Bank. And Kathy is joining us from Memphis, Tennessee. How are you doing today, Kathy? Fantastic. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. So food banks are one of those things that are such a necessity, but no one seems to talk about. Can, Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys got started? Yeah, well, we um, branched off of MIFA. MIFA is the local Memphis Meals on Wheels and, and helps with utility um, help with families and um, such. So we started there in 1981 and by 1989 had transitioned into our own 501c3 and became a food bank as um, separated from MIFA. So um, okay. we still, of course, partner with them because we both feed seniors and um, but so, so we became a food bank as part of feeding America. So there are 200 food banks in the country. All wow. counties have a food bank that represents them. And for instance, here at the mid South, we are responsible for, meaning we provide the food for 31 mid South counties. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. That's quite an operation. So you said, uh, Back in 1981 is kind of the, the genesis of everything. Mm-hmm. When people are thinking about this, is it, uh, I mean, you guys are a non-governmental organization, correct? Correct. So basically someone has to say, you know what? I see people suffering. I want to go start something and figure out a way to help these people out and let's get a food bank started. Yes. They started in 1981 and they called it the Memphis Food Bank because it was just the Memphis area. And it was housed in the MIFA building that that was cooking hot meals to provide seniors every day um, and doing some other services. But someone in the community, it happens to be Virginia Dunaway, and I've actually met her. She's moved to Texas, but she was in Memphis uh, before the pandemic. So um, I did go downtown and um, had dinner with her. And it was an absolute honor of my life because it was it was um, uh, Miss Dunaway that kind of started the whole thing and saw that need to get additional food out to the community, not just to seniors, but children and other working families that are hungry. So um, she kind of came up with it and they got an advisory group together and talked about how it would work. And then they became a food bank. And how was it in those early days getting started from, from what you've heard, what you remember as far as kind of making that transition from, you know, more, you know, assistance to seniors to, like you said, reaching a bigger, broader spectrum of the community. Yeah. Well, what they did is they looked at where was food available, but not being used at restaurants and grocery stores, for example, because, you know, grocery stores are going to pull product that is close to expiration, green beans, for example, you know, if best of use, if used by, um, they're going to pull that product they're going to pull produce that, you know, is, is kind of heading on its last leg. Like it, we need to get it on somebody's table pretty quickly or it'll go to waste. Um, so they started in that, um, in that arena of making relationships with local grocery stores and started doing those kind of pickups and getting them out to um, other partner agencies, which we started with just your neighborhood church down the road. Um, and, that's how, that's kind of how the whole food bank um, idea got going here. Now it started in Phoenix, Arizona, many years ago. St. Mary's was the very first food bank that did that. And then other communities started modeling what their community, 
community could do to feed people um, out of the St. Mary's model. So 31 counties, is it all centralized through the Memphis warehouse or does each county kind of do their own pickups and how does well, the logistics wor- work on that? Well, it Rex, it works both ways. So we serve 12 and, and Feeding America kind of helps determine boundaries like Mid-South is responsible for 12 West Tennessee counties, um, one in Arkansas across the river because um, West Memphis, Arkansas, Crittenden County kind of feels like an extension of Memphis because we're so close. So we have that county and then we have 18 North Mississippi counties. So where I stop, another food bank picks up. So, we, gotcha. you know, you, you can't. I mean, I couldn't handle the whole state of Tennessee, for example. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's too much territory. So it's broken up. We have five food banks in Tennessee, actually. So um, we have 300 partner agencies that uh, work with Mid-South Food Bank. Um, a majority of them are in Tennessee, about 165 are in Tennessee. And um, again, your neighborhood church, it might be like Neighborhood Christian Center is a nonprofit here that does other things other than feed people, but that is one of the things they do. Um, So we work with partners like that. Um, We have trucks on the road every day going to Kroger, Walmart, Costco, and we're picking up what they are discarding. Again, a lot of it's perfectly edible. You just have to get it Mm -hmm. into the hands of someone fairly quickly, which that's what we do. So some of it is we're bringing it back to the warehouse and we check for food safety. And then we make that product available to all of our agencies. And in some of the communities, um, our partner agencies do that direct pickup. If they are capable, you know, you've got to have um, the capacity to do that. Um, so we, we, we have agreements with them so they can go directly to the Kroger in their community or whatever. Gotcha. And then it never hits the warehouse. We just kind of maintain the food safety training and maintain the paperwork on that. Gotcha. That makes sense. I got to imagine the logistics have got to be pretty tough to be able to take very close to perishable items to be able to get them check for safety and get them out quick. Is there some way like if it's going to a distribution center that there's like a mass email call or people showing up daily for more of those perishable goods? How are you able to get those goods so quickly into people's hands for consumption? Well, we do what's called mobile pantries. We weren't terribly strong in that prior to the pandemic. So um, some neighborhoods don't have access to food like other neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We know that. We've got food deserts. And then some neighborhoods may not have a strong food pantry, a brick-and-mortar pantry that can take care of the need. They may be able to feed 50 families a month, for example. But what if you need to feed 400 families a month? Right. So we do mobile pantries where we load the truck up with food and we take it somewhere where 300 families need to be served. And then we have volunteers. And of course, we've advertised it. It's on our website. Um, So that's where a lot of that quick turnaround of food happens is if we pick it up today, it's on a mobile distribution tomorrow. Wow, that is quick. Since since you touched on it, have you noticed? a huge increase in demand since the pandemic, since COVID? You would not believe the increase in demand. I mean, it's insane. Like we knew 
it was coming. So we, we were meeting, my leadership team and I were meeting prior to March 1 because we could kind of see it coming. Shelby County School closed March 12, and we knew that was it for us. We better have food um, in the warehouse because when our children are not able to get breakfast and lunch at school, that is quite um, the, the financial drain on that family's right. budget. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's been terrible on their budget now, right, with the layoffs and the business closings yeah. and all of that. So before the pandemic, our food bank averaged distributing 1.4 million pounds a month, 1.4 million. In May, we distributed 5.9 million. In June, we saw a little bit of decrease in June because that was right when some people were going back to work and um, we distributed a little, a little bit less than that. It was 5.4 million July. And I can't even believe where we even got this much food, 6.6 million pounds. That is how much the increase has been for our community. Well, that brings well, that, up a yeah. question right there. Like, yeah. Where does that food come from? I was from? thinking that same thing. Yeah, that's an amazing thing about it. Well, we were very, very fortunate, particularly in Tennessee. Um, we started a relationship with TEMA, Tennessee Emergency Management. Like right when, right when it hit, the five food banks in Tennessee got together. We found the guy. You got to find the person, right, that, that's in charge of this program. And because I had gone through Hurricane Michael because I'm coming from the Gulf Coast. I was the president and CEO of Feeding the Gulf Coast. And we handled Bay County, Florida, that got um, hit by Hurricane Michael about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. So I knew a guy, Peter, was in charge of feeding Florida. And I called Peter and I said, I need the Peter in Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) Who is it? And so Peter gave me Alex, and I'm telling you that relationship has been unbelievable. Tima has knocked it out of the ballpark, sending awesome. all the five food banks in Tennessee fantastic product. So we've been able to rely on that product. Um, Feeding America, very generous. We, we always have a portal that we can go into with Feeding America, and they have offers of, of food in that portal. And the food bank, if you want that, if you want that order, if you want that load of food, whatever it is, you have to pay the freight to get it here. So we were very aggressive of getting food out of that portal. So that was another source of a lot of food. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the CFAP program um, that USDA is doing. It's Farmers to Families Food Boxes, and we're in the middle of that right now. Fantastic product, I can't tell you. Produce, dairy. So that has worked very well for us. Um, And then we purchased a lot of food. We just have to. The, the, The need is so great. Um, and I will tell you at the very beginning of this, and I'm, I'm fairly calm. I mean, I was, I was pretty confident. We knew what we were doing and, but the need got so great so quickly. I was a little bit panicked that we would have an empty warehouse. And even mm-hmm. my staff was like, all right, Kathy, you're acting a little bit stressed. Yeah. I'm like, guys, where is the food? Go find it. Like leave no stone left unturned. We have to have food coming in this warehouse in great quantities so that we can get it out to our partner agencies and by way of mobile pantries. And I just can't tell you how proud I am of how well this staff has done. They've worked like crazy and we've gotten some great relationships so that we do have a lot of food coming in the door currently. Wow. That's awesome. If, if the, um, Schools all of a sudden had a void of, you know, not only providing food for the children, 
Was there a void that the distributors that were necessarily providing food for the schools that, that you guys could like tap into per se or? We did. We did. And um, the school actually donated a lot of product to us and they actually delivered it to the warehouse, which was so kind. Um, But again, it was those relationships of talking with Shelby County School. And um, actually, right when the school closed, Shelby County was going to do the um, after school meals for children. It's it's a federal program, CACFP, and you have to already be a sponsor to do it. Our food bank is not a sponsor, but YMCA took that program over. So and we've allowed them to use space in the warehouse. So they've worked that program out of the back of our warehouse. So they've been able to pick up food and serve it to our Shelby County kids at 60 different locations since March. I mean, they started it pretty much immediately. And then we piggybacked with them at some of those locations um, to let them, let the family get food. So we would partner. And as the child is able to pick up a meal for the child, we were able to provide the family with a box of food. So that was a great partnership to really target those children. Mm. It sounds like you've got an incredible team. Um, Yes. Uh, paid? What's the percentage of paid versus volunteer that you guys have? Well, most of our work is paid. I mean, you've got, we've got truck drivers, we've got pickers in the warehouse that are unloading the trucks and putting it on the racking and then taking it off the racking to Mm -hmm. field orders for agencies. Um, I have an office staff that helps with development and marketing and thank you letters and all of that. Um, And then agency relations, of course, works with all of our 300 agencies. We have an amazing amount of volunteers that love coming to the warehouse and doing the work that needs to be done, which is putting food boxes together, examining all of that food that comes in. You have to, we train them to determine is food safe? Like a can might be a little bit dented, but it can't be grossly dented and metal can't be touching metal. And, you know, you've just got things you want to look at to examine that food for food safety. Um, Well, so when, right when COVID hit and we all, it went from, Oh, you can't be in a group of, of more than 50. Oh, you can't be in a group of more than 10. Well, you know, that was getting a little difficult. So um, I made the decision to close the warehouse to anybody that wasn't essential. And of course, now we've relaxed that, you know, a little bit, but I knew that we could not have COVID running through this warehouse, right? right. I mean, we can, we cannot be closed because too many people depend on us Lifeline, for that food. Yeah. 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 And, and so we can't do it. So 30% of the staff went home and worked from home. Um, the drivers and the warehouse folks had to be here. So everybody else had to leave the building. So we weren't having volunteers, which was unfortunate. But again, you know, we've only had, we only had one case of COVID. We now have had three, but again, it's a little bit more, you know, how to determine who might be affected as opposed to at the very beginning, um, you know, we would have had to shut the warehouse and bring in the, bring in the hazmat kind of folks to clean it. So, so, you know, again, it's a little bit different now, but, um, I think that was really instrumental in us being able to keep going, keep the doors open. And we've just been rocking and rolling the whole time. We have not shut down at all. And in fact, at the very beginning, we were basically on call 24 seven. I mean, I I remember Sunday mornings, I'm on the phone, Tima trying to get MOUs um, together for all the food banks. So, 
yeah, the staff has been incredible. I mean, they have worked really, really hard. Um, no complaining, just what do I need to do? That's awesome. You know, it, it's been incredible. They've done an amazing job and we've really responded, I think, very well to the pandemic. And then do you feel like the staff, um, I don't know, this is kind of a silly question, but do they see a lot of times like the inline person who gets the food box and, and get the gratification of knowing like, gosh, like it's, it was worth like not complaining, busting through all of this to know that these families, you know, got fed. Absolutely. So the agency relations team is out of the building. That's their job is to go and monitor those agencies, offer them support, uh, work that mobile pantry distribution, because you can imagine what an effort that is to mm-hmm. have 500, 800 families in line to get food. And they're just, and, and again, it's all no contact. So they stay in the car. We put the food in the trunk or the back seat or whatever. And they're having to fill out just very little information if it's, if it's government product, which we do get emergency food from the Department of Ag in Tennessee. So um, a lot of us have worked mobile pantries. I mean, we'll go to, because we want to go and thank whoever is sponsoring mm-hmm. um, the mobile pantry, like Rotary Club did a great a great relationship with a new Hispanic group that is serving a thousand families in one distribution. So um, our marketing team will be out there taking pictures, interviewing clients, Um, the, the drivers, of course, Oh my word, everybody loves our drivers. That's the one thing I hear the most (laughs) is our agencies will call and just say, do not take my driver away from me. I love my driver, you know? So yes, (laughs) they get, they get that, that, really wonderful feeling of knowing that their work really counts. It's really important. Now you said you kind of touched on the mobile pantry. So normally you guys don't run mobile pantries. We run about 60 a month. Okay. um, In normal, in normal times. And that's through the whole 31 County service area. And we, we had just added Saturday mobile distributions. We had not been doing that until um, I'm used to Saturday distributions on the Gulf Coast. So we had kind of implemented that, but it came at a perfect time. So prior to the pandemic, again, average about 60 a month. Um, we've been averaging 200 a month since wow. April and 16 on Saturday. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. And so, but otherwise, if it's not mobile, someone would actually physically walk into a food bank provide their credentials, whatever those may be, and then pick up some food. Yeah. A food pantry. Yes. Okay. So we're the only food bank and that's, and I, and and not that it, not that it matters what you call anybody, but um, that's where I think people don't understand that a food bank is just like a financial institution. They get that money in there and Mm. hold it for a little while. And then it goes out in the community. We do exactly the same thing. We get a lot of food in the warehouse and then we distribute it out by way of, again, either to our partner agency. So we'll deliver their order. We have an inventory system and they can see what our inventory is. And that, that list comes out every Tuesday and they order off of that list and we either take it to them, but if they're close to the warehouse, a lot of them will come and pick their order up. Nice. Out of curiosity, do you guys do get requests like do people like, Hey, we really like this. And what type of item is, is requested? Just like if someone is looking to donate or like, what's a, what's the most requested item that people generally need or. Yeah. The most requested actually is peanut butter and canned vegetables. Oh really? <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Um, 
I think one of the things that we always are very short on is canned meat because, you know, it's a little bit more pricey, um, canned chicken, canned tuna. That's actually some of the product that Tima has been sending and we are just, we're in heaven. We're like, oh my word, this is fantastic. Um, but then we get a lot of, we get a lot of fresh product too, but uh, in the rural areas that might be a little more difficult to house and then because their distribution may be only once a month or, um, every Tuesday. So that might be a little tricky. So actually both types of product are very important. The frozen, the fresh produce, frozen meat, and then the canned product. Now, do you have an idea uh, or a number on how many actual families that you guys are able to feed or is that not kept or? Yeah, it actually is kept. And I will come back to that. I'm pulling up my sheet right now. Okay. We've, we've, it was really funny when it first happened and we have a new chief operating officer that started first of December. I just got here in August and he's, he came from Houston and both of us had hurricane experience or disaster experience from the coast. And, um, I, so right when this started, I said, okay, guys, there's a couple of mistakes I made in Florida during the hurricane Michael that I don't want to repeat. And one of them was keeping good data. So, I mean, from the very get go, we, we put up a data sheet, to talk about pounds distributed, mobile pantries, uh, family served, all of that stuff. So we keep a data sheet on all of that and, and update, it, update it all the time. So I'll And, I, and I'm curious along with that, and I don't know if this is another stat that you guys keep, but um, out of those families, is majority of them, is this a supplemental food source or is it yes. 100% food source for some? No, it's never intended to be 100%. Okay. And we hope that it is not 100% gotcha. food source. Um, especially, you know, like with seniors um, or any family, we're not giving enough food to provide three meals a day, seven days a week. I mean, it's just, there's not enough food to do that. But yes, it is supposed to be supplemental. We hope that a lot of people are able to take advantage of the SNAP program. So that's, it used to be called food stamps. Um, and so we actually do that work as well. We try to educate um, the clients in the mobile, in the brick and mortar pantries and our partner agencies of how people can sign up for SNAP benefits. So that really together with that SNAP benefits and then the food bank, if you really had nothing, you should be able to navigate both of those fairly well. Gotcha. Do you have any cool stories that you've, um, either experienced or heard from people who in the community who were, you know, they would receive packages and that was their supplemental food. And then they ended up, ended up impacting them so much to where they decided to wanted to work for the food bank or anything, any cool stories that are just really inspiring things like that for the listeners. Yes. We we've got a couple, there's a, a couple in Mississippi that the, the husband had health issues and the wife got laid off and they used to volunteer at the, agency in their community before the disaster hit and um, never dreamed that they would need to be a recipient. I mean, they were just, you know, they had paychecks coming in, uh, the work was good. And um, then the husband got sick, the wife lost her job, and they end up in the food pantry line. And so we actually interviewed them about about that story. And they were just talking about um, 
you don't, you never know that you're going to need a food bank. And then now all of a sudden, a lot of people that are in the food lines have never needed a food bank, didn't even know what we did. And, um, and then we actually had another um, grandmama that we interviewed that um, had two grandchildren that had come to live with her and she lost her job, which, you know, the unemployment is insane. So if you've, if you're used to food and I mean, if you're used to a paycheck and the statistics tell us 40% of people are living paycheck to paycheck already before a pandemic. So we know that folks are running out of money to be able to pay their bills. So um, the grandmamas that are raising their grandchildren, like the one that we interviewed, of course, I'm just so grateful. I bet. I bet there's a lot of stories like that. Yeah. You know, I think of like, you know, sometimes I don't, when you see someone maybe who's like panhandling for money. And I think a lot of times people will be like, Oh, I don't want to give them money. I'd rather buy them food. But it's like what you're, what Kathy's doing, what they're doing at the food bank is just, that is exactly what people would say they would like to do is I just like to get them food. And it's like, you're actually walking it out and making it happen, which is truly incredible. Yeah. And so if, uh, if someone's listened to this and they want to either donate or volunteer is what's the best route for people to be able to do that? Um, the best thing is to go to the website and we're at midsouthfoodbank.org and you can donate. There's a donate button. And the reason money is so important, it is obviously to every nonprofit, every nonprofit leader is going to say, Oh, the best thing is to donate money. But for the food bank, it really truly is because we can stretch that dollar. So every dollar we can provide three meals and you're not going to be able to do any, you can shop at Walmart, you know, and do that. So we can really make that dollar stretch. So the best way is really to donate and we make it very easy on the website. And then, and of course, if you need food, if you actually are in need of food, we want people to know how to get to a mobile pantry or a brick and mortar pantry. You can find that on the website as well. We um, have a list of mobile distributions for about the next seven days. So we just keep it rolling because we've got to, you know, I don't want to print it for a month because sometimes they need to cancel or, you know, the date changes. So that's a good way to find help. And then um, volunteer, there's a volunteer button and you just fill out that form and then we'll contact you about volunteering. Again, we haven't had a lot of volunteer opportunities because we wanted to make sure we kept the warehouse very safe. But we have uh, we have opened it up to um, 20 individuals at on a shift and it's 10 in a group. So we're going to try that. We hope we hope that that will work. Uh, We'll. We've got all the PPE. We're very good about, we take temperatures, we have masks and gloves and we social distance. Do you guys do forecasting uh, based off of unemployment numbers in these counties that you serve? Uh, We do. And we do a little bit of forecasting based off of Feeding America data. So when Feeding America kind of ran the numbers in the country, we were looking at a 44% increase in need. Um, now, Memphis, Shelby County, our poverty rate is a bit higher than some other areas. Like even it's higher. The poverty is higher here 
and more of a challenge than I found on the Gulf Coast. So we really felt like our numbers were going to be a little bit higher. So we projected a 55% increase. So that's what we looked at going into our new um, fiscal year budget, which started July 1. Okay, gotcha. Because, you know, right now, I think there's so many Americans across, you know, that are so unsure of what's to come. Yes. Whether that's you know, are we going to get back some type of normalcy? Are we going to mm-hmm. be able to have, you know, an uptick in jobs or are we going to go back the other direction? And so I would imagine in your seat, that must get to be a hard place to to try to, to balance the, you know, the forecasting. Yeah, we, um, you know, it's made us a little nervous because our expenses obviously have gone through the, yeah, roof, through the roof, comparatively right. speaking, because, um, we were very aggressive from the from the get go. Like we said, I mean, we didn't just sit back and say, well, I mean, we've only got X number of drivers and X number of warehouse workers. We can only do so much. We didn't look at any limits like that. Mm. We said, wait, what do we need? You know, how much food can we run through this warehouse and get delivered? How many mobile pantries can we do? And how many pe- people do we need to do that? So we've leased trucks. We've got temp drivers, we've got temp warehouse workers, and we've just been working like crazy since then. So uh, we are looking at the next nine months that things are not going to get significantly better. We know that hopefully businesses will open up. Yes, people will go back to work. But if you've had this kind of setback and you were already living paycheck to paycheck, you are not going to bounce back in one or two months. Right. You're just not. Yeah. Um, so, so we're looking at what those numbers look like, and um, our budget just went pretty high for, yeah. for this fiscal. I was thinking, <laughs> but, this, and the reason why it's got to be so important for people to donate financially is because the situation where the food bank is in is, you know, typically a, a nonprofit as the economy drops or dips, you know, sometimes nonprofits will scale back because there's just not as much donations, not as much money, but for a food bank, as the economy dips, then you have a dramatic demand. increase in, yeah. in demand. So it's like right. it's even more important to be able to help out in these times because, uh, you know, it, you know that there's got to be less donations because people don't have jobs. They don't have as much money, so they can't donate if they were, but it's, but that's what, if you're in the position to where you can donate right now, it's so important to do it because the demand, as you talked about these tonnage numbers, per month or going through the roof. So it's so important because the demand is so high right now. Yes. And I think you, you said it beautifully where you're saying, if you can, if you're in that position, you know, thank God you're in that position, right? You're not unemployed, your business, you were able to keep going. Maybe you're already retired and financially set, whatever your position is, you are in so much better of a position than so many people in our communities that are hurting um, that yes, if you're in the position to give, there's never been a more important time to do that, to support those in need, because um, it, without us getting the amount of food out that we're getting out the door and so many fantastic partners helping us do that at each one of these locations, whether it's a brick and mortar pantry or a mobile pantry, um, people would not have any food. I mean, they literally would not have been able to eat and the children, you know, would not have been able to uh, replace those breakfast and lunches that they're missing at school. So there's never been, even in the history of this food bank, there's never been a more important time that we come together now to provide just that basic of food. Yeah, that's that's a, a good message right there to, to end on. You've been an absolute pleasure and I can't say... Uh, 
you know, the, the work that you guys are doing over there is, is so important and you guys are angels to so many families. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing and please, you know, pass that thanks on to everyone, you know, that all the employees that you have, because I know, just like you said, there's so many families out there in need. And like, like you said, if you're in a position to help, now's a really important time to be able to help. Well, thank you so much for this time and getting the message out. And I will tell you, our local community is a very generous community. So people have been very kind and I'll just get a phone call of thanks, you know, like, oh, I see y'all out there working. I saw the cars in line. Thank y'all. They're, they're encouraging, um, they're partnering and they're giving. So it's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be with both of you today. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing thank with you, us. Kathy. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. If you like today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneroftheuniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you. Let's face it, we're living in some unprecedented times, and there's never been a better time to have a plan B. Working from home has become the new norm. And let's face it, multiple streams of income just make sense. As the world changes, we need to change with it. If you're looking for a plan B, head on over to mycorneroftheuniverse.com forward slash support the show and click on LifeWave. It's a business in a box. Starting a home-based business can be scary, but with LifeWave, you'll get all the support and help you need to get your business up and running. And you'll be in one of the biggest trends in the market, stem cells. So head on over to mycorneroftheuniverse.com forward slash support the show Click on LifeWave and see how you can get involved in the stem cell industry at home.